Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Focus Fire Podcast. I'm Alan, as always, joined by my co-host, Jeff. The Dirty Pool. Focus Fire is a semi-regular competitive 40K podcast aimed at providing you focus and practical advice you can actually use to improve your game. And this is big episode number five, and they said it wouldn't last. What's funny is semi-regular is because we usually tape every two weeks like clockwork but there's a sister podcast that we have on another channel where the salty one is either in this washington dc um minding kids or going to ba open so because of the other sister podcast we're kind of on a semi that's why we're on a semi-regular uh schedule it seems like <laughs> and this podcast is brought to you through the gfg radio network speak of the devil if you have any questions or comments please email us at focusedfirepodcast at gmail.com did i get it right that time jeff good for you <laughs> <laughs> we have three topics tonight first unit first is going to be a unit focus where we focus on a particular unit and try to break it down and it's going to be this week's going to be on caladius grav tanks then our second segment is going to be list design or plan B. What to do if your plan A is not going to work. And the third uh, topic will be practical application, where Jeff is going to basically uh, went to an RTT this last weekend, and he's going to go over his uh, his thoughts and his ideas. Let's start it off with the Caladius Grav Tank, the the scourge of the tabletop. We're gonna we've had for the last few weeks, and we're going to continue saying. Jeff, go ahead and let's start it off. Well, yeah, the Caladius Grav Tank. Um, obviously is going to be seen at a lot more tables um, after Jeff Robinson piloted two of them to victory over the BAO. But, you know, it's been it's been a, a kind of, uh, at least in our meta, a regular occurrence since it, the Forge World beta rules dropped uh, right after LVO, I think it was, or maybe right before, I don't recall. Um, and this thing is a fucking beast, and uh, you can see why, after we go into it, it was included in Jeff Robinson's BAO list, and why you'll be seeing it in almost every, not every competitive list, but most competitive Imperium lists would, would or should take two or three of these things. So we're going to start by just kind of breaking down the the profile of the, of the unit, but I kind of want to talk to you guys about the the intent of this unit focus. The whole idea here is of our podcast is to give you some actionable advice that you can kind of take and look at your games and, and, and implement it in your games to hopefully come out on top. Um, and so we're going to kind of focus on what it does if you're playing the Caladius Grav Tank, what its strengths are, some kind of un, hopefully some tips and tactics for you to use it more effectively. Um, and I have a couple of concrete examples that I'll use um, as I've just literally played them last night. But um, And then, you know, if you're, if you're uh, facing them across the table, things that you can do to help uh, combat them. So the Caladus Grab Tank is a steal. It's a bargain. Let's just say it like that. And we'll go into some comparisons with other comparable units later in the segment. But the Cow's Grab Tank is 210 points, and you get a shit ton of stuff for 210 points. I mean, this thing is almost as fast as a Wave Serpent. It moves 14 inches. It flies. It has a Blitz of Skill 2. It has a T7, uh, 14-wounds, 3-up armor save, and a 5++ invulnerable save. It has a bucket full of special rules, all of which are good in different uh, uh, aspects of the game. For instance, it has a ability that... 
if you declare it as part of your charge, a target of your charge, you have to subtract two inches from your charge distance. And we'll kind of get into what that means in total and when you're playing or against it or with it later. Uh, it also uh, ignores the men movement penalty for shooting the heavy weapons that it comes with. And in the most optimal loadout, it comes with a, a bucket full of shots, 14 shots, all very high quality shots. It has eight shots that are strength are essentially shooting little power fists or strength eight minus three d3 damage and uh, it has six shots that are i think strength six minus two or three and one damage um so like it's super beefy heavy bolter shots yeah exactly yeah the, it, these things are nuts i mean this collat this cladius grab tank can stare down at an opposing tank and probably put it down with a volley maybe a volley and a half um but it also can blast 10 to 14 models, enemy infantry models off the board without uh, really uh, working up a sweat. Yeah, let's look at a few of the things that uh, you mentioned here. So it's ballistic skill 2, and when you pair it with Trajan, you get to be minus 1 to hit. And so that means it's got a buck a lot of shots, as you mentioned, and they're all going to, almost always going to hit you. It's going to be, it has flies, so you can't lock it into combat. You can't touch it like you can, like broadsides or some other tanks, like a Lehman Russ, and stop it from shooting. It has a 14-inch movement, so it can get out of almost any predicament you put it into. And it also has that minus 2 uh, to charge. So if you do want a deep strike next to it in the hopes of charging it, you're going to need 11-inch charge. So that combination of defensive abilities means it's really tough to yeah it's an extremely versatile tank i mean it's it it performs exceptionally well when shooting at tough valuable targets like dreadnoughts riptides eldar planes and it also performs really well when shooting at hordes i mean sure it's not gonna clear hordes like a you know a punisher lemon rust t a tank commander but it will put in work and the the, the thing is is that it has a two-up ballistic skill, which is, you know, people look and go, oh, well, you know, tank commanders have a three-up ballistic skill. But when you're shooting at an Eldar plane that's minus two to hit, the difference between a two-up and a three-up is pretty, pretty huge. And you're always going to see these things paired with either a shield captain on a bike or, more likely, Trajan for reroll ones to hit and reroll ones to wound, as Alan was saying. And... It's going to have a banner standing next to it. It's going to be minus one to hit. It has that invulnerable save. So even if you do have anti-tank, it it can shrug those things off in the most uh, you know annoying way possible. When you're <laughs> you get two las cannon shots through on it, and you're like, oh sweet, I can you know maybe bring it down to uh, tier it or something. He makes one of his five up saves. And what's the range on the power fist shot? Oh, it's insane. It's a 60-inch range on that, and the uh, the sidearm, the six-shot gun, is, I think, 36-inch range. So for a lot of heavy heavy weapons out there, they're either 36-inch range or 48-inch range. So they're going to outrange a lot of uh, vehicles and also other shooting. And also if you get things like uh, hammer and anvil deployment, is it hammer and anvil? Is that right? Yes. The, uh, the long edge. Uh, you're not going to be able to stay out of range of it, basically, and it's going to be able to shoot you for many turns as you move forward. Yeah, and I think that's one of the key tactical strengths of the Caladius Grav Tank is it has so much duality and versatility. So its guns can shoot at a variety of targets. It its guns can shoot at any target and be effective. It's not going to be like shooting, you know, um, your volcano lance into termagants. I mean, if you're still shooting 14 shots into termagants, you're going to kill 10 or 11 of them with a volley, which is not, you know, um, something that it really wants to be doing, but it's not horrible at it either. 
And the thing is, it's it, you can play it in so many ways too, because the vehicle can, like Alan said, could sit back at 60 inches, sit around Trajan and the banner and, and get in a shootout with you. But if it wants to, it can move 14 inches up the board with a shield captain or Trajan running and, you know, trying to keep up with it uh, and get in your face. And it can it can do things that, you know, I play Eldar sometimes and wave serpents are notoriously good at charging enemy tanks and touching them and saying, oh, you can't shoot me now. Um, yeah, I'm not going to hurt you. But the Caladius grab tank can fill that same role. It's a 14 inch move. It flies. It can it is surprisingly fast. So you think, oh, I'm at a line of sight. I'm going to hide behind this building. Guess what? That tank is moving 14 inches on top of something else, wobbly modeling on top of a building and shoot, seeing you over the wall or something. Or it's moving 14 inches into your face and charging your your unit that you don't really want it to fight and that maybe not have a maybe doesn't have a good chance of harming it. Or it's flying over a screen. I mean, there's a the, its speed. Uh, and it's dis and the range on its guns allow it to fill any role. You know, if it if it's facing a uh, 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 needs to get in a shootout, it can do that. If it needs to be aggressive, uh, it can do that as well. And it's also really good at uh, screening out against like a Gene Sarah Colt matchup or an Orc matchup where they're using the jump to try and get you know thirty Orc boys into your face. You're like, okay, well I'm going to screen with these three tanks. And my whole army is safe behind the tanks. They fly. So even if you do make the charge with minus two, you're now just fighting a tank that is going to fly away from you. And it may not be the optimal target for, you know, the jeans or Colts coming down, et cetera. So it's just, it's such a, a insane toolbox uh, of abilities that in the hands of an, uh, a skilled general, it can be wielded in so many different ways and, you know, I think you see this with, you know, Jeff Robinson playing it at BAO is he was able to employ it in different ways against each opponent, like against Jim Vessel in his last game. He was using it to hop on top of a building and kill Aramon, uh, or maybe it was a Demon Prince, I don't recall, you know, who was behind a, a screen of Plague Bearers. But guess what? It has a 14-inch move, and Jim Vessel was not expecting that. Jeff, Jeff popped up top of the building and shot right down and killed that important buff character. Yeah, they're they're really good. That that's one thing is just they're so versatile. They're and some might say undercosted. So <laughs> yeah, so we can get into the point comparison here. I mean, mind you that these comparisons are kind of just rough, but you know we just I, I want to just kind of draw it out there. In my opinion, the Caladius or the Caladius uh, Caladius grab tank is undercosted at two hundred ten points. I mean, for one hundred eighty eight points, you get a lemon rust tank commander with uh, a battle cannon and three heavy bolters, which is putting out roughly the same amount of shot i mean it's 2d6 shots if it doesn't move uh which are strength eight minus two or three and d3 damage just like the top gun on the caladius and has nine heavy bolter shots which are roughly comparable to the uh sidearm on the caladius but it's 30 22 points less but for the 22 point upgrade to the caladius you get uh almost double the movement you get the fly keyword you get a five up invulnerable save you get a two up ballistic skill you get a minus two to charge aura. You get um, all kinds of other things that come with being a Casota. You get minus one to hit. You get Trajan to reroll ones to hit and reroll ones to wound. I and mean, an invulnerable save. Yeah, it's in, it's insane. I mean, you look at things like a fire prism, 160 points. Far less effective for 50 points more. The Caladius grab tank has so much more going for it. Um, I mean, I even someone pointed me out like, look, a, a Night Crusader puts out. 
with an Avenger Gatling Cannon and a Rapid Fire Battle Cannon puts out a comparable amount of shots. Not, the, the Crusader is definitely putting out more powerful firepower, but it's, it's two and a half times the cost almost. Um, it, obviously, it's more durable. Um, but, it, I mean, it's only 10 more wounds, which is, you know, it's those are some wounds, but it also, if someone's sinking your knight, they're going to sink your Caladius too. So um, I just kind of, the thing that I notice is it's it's a really versatile unit, and it it is way under-costed for what it does, in my opinion. And you just you can just look at some of the, the um, units that I've just kind of mentioned to see, like, you know, they're not mirror carbon copies, but they are comparable and uh, are... A little cheaper, or in this case, more in the case of the knight, more expensive. But what you get for the the extra points you pay for the Caladius is um, pretty insane. So, you know, I, this is also something that we see with um, other undercosted Forge World units, like you know, Don Hoosen's BAO list had Contemptors and Derradeos, which are you know the Contemptors are like 140, 150, or something like that, while the Derradeos are two hundred points, and they're putting out with the purge stra- uh, trait, are putting out insanely accurate firepower. I mean, probably nowhere near what the Caladius is putting out, but still insanely good shooting. Um, and they, they're not even as versatile as the Caladius. And you compare the Caladius to those Forgehold units, and you see, like, oh, wow, that's that's way better than a Derradeo. You know, <laughs> it puts out more firepower than a Derradeo, and it's only, you know, 10 or 15 points more expensive. So I've had some, some experience playing these recently. Um, I played at a... a RTT the other day and I faced one list with uh, three of them and he he played them very conservatively and just kind of sat back and shot with them I was playing orcs so it kind of was the right move because I had a bunch of power claws running toward him but he was able to just kind of hide them behind some buildings from my shock attack guns and plink away at my orc hordes even though he's only shooting at orc boys he was able to with two of them clear you know 75% of a 30 man orc unit and just kind of uh, that was kind of had deep struck down and failed its charge. So it was, uh, they, they were really good in that game as well. Um, I played them recently as well uh, in a league game. And the opponent, you know, I killed them at the end of turn six. I dropped two of them. He only had two. Um, I was finally able to kill them. But throughout the game, he had been keeping them back. And I was talking to him after the game. I said, look, if you were to be a little more aggressive with your uh, Caladiuses and push them up at me and take the center with them with Trajan and your um, shield captain, you could have been in a way better position on the board because he kind of sat back in a corner and used them as a firing base. And if he had played them more aggressively and used their speed and used their kind of bowling ability, especially with the, with the Don Eagle jet bike captain there to kind of play as a linebacker, he would have had that game no no problem. Um, it ended up being a close game. I ended up pulling it out at the end, but only because he kind of didn't think about it. He's, he, he's an Imperial pl- guard player f- for the most part and kind of use him like an Imperial guard tank. You know, you don't charge with your Lim and Russes, but in this case, because you fly, there's not really any detriment. You could kind of get in there and start messing around with things and um, shielding off your your shield captain with the... Uh, um, the Caladiuses because, you know, they're protecting him with the character keyword. Have you had any experience against them, Alan? I've only played him once. I I played uh, Danny, who was leading our league, and I had to help you uh, win our league. So I played him and ended up uh, beating him. He basically rolled pretty bad, and Magnus Magnus can kill him with psychic powers. That's one of their weak. If they don't have a lot of an army built with, like, a lot of chaff, like a lot of bullet catchers, like infantry to eat the smites and stuff, you can take them down with, if you can get to them close, if you get to them fast enough, 
you can hit them with a lot of psychic powers and take them down and cripple them. Generally speaking, they're if played right behind um, IG lines, they're a, they're a tough unit to bring down. Yeah, so I think you know the takeaway from this topic is: look, if you are wanting to run an efficient shooting unit in the Imperium, Caladius grab tanks are the way to go. I mean, you're spending about a little under a thousand points if you want to grab three of them with Trajan and the uh, Banner guy. So it's not an insignificant commitment. It, you have to kind of go all in. You can do what Jeff did and take a Dreadnought instead of one of the tanks, but I mean that's just kind of your personal preference. You're still going to be dropping a thousand points on this detachment, um, and then the rest of your list should really be geared at giving it space, like Alan said, giving uh, chaff bodies to get in the way of smites and other things to um, kind of help complement the strengths of those tanks and if you're playing against them you know uh you just obviously if you can kill them that's the best advice i can give you but um they are a formidable foe if you're playing gene sarah colts or some sort of other deep striking melee army you can have a hard time if those things um are screening you out um but if you're if you have the ability to shoot one or two of them or uh, you have some kind of scary melee characters to move up behind your screens like demon princes and that kind of thing um, those can be really efficient to uh, get those uh, tanks uh, out of the fight because, you know, they have all this good shooting, but they are obviously not good melee. So that's kind of one way to uh, help counteract them on the tabletop. Yeah, my strategy actually uh, against them is going to be wait for chapter approve and then be have adequate uh, point totals. But actually, they're uh, they're they're beta from Forge World. So actually, since they're beta rules, they can actually change their points levels anytime they want to make them official rules. Yeah. So we're gonna see that. But I don't know if who's mining the store at Forge World nowadays, or if GW's even aware of Forge World, or if... I, my understanding was that Games Workshop had taken over writing the rules for Forge World. Yeah, because they they put Forge World points and all the chapter approved and all that. Uh, yeah. Stuff so it seems like they are kind of doing it, but it seems like I don't know if they balance Forge World like they do. I don't know. They just don't pay attention to it. It seems like the the regular GM and mm. balance things as we yeah. see with Purged and all these Dreadnoughts. Well, yeah, I think you'll. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I do think that people should be ready to see them over the next couple of months, taking Storm uh, over the summer and, you know, maybe we'll, they'll get a, a point increase before, uh, chapter approved, but hopefully if not before then, at least at chapter approved. So basically these are the new Castellan, uh, I guess, uh, you'll see it in almost every Imperial list. And uh... I mean, it, it's kind of a big commitment. It's way more, in my opinion, a more, way more of a commitment than the Castellan was. I mean, you're, you're dropping an extra 300 or 400 points into your army, into this detachment. So, you know, maybe not, but, you know, uh, and also you have to, you know, buy the three Forge World tanks, so it's not a cheap uh, endeavor. Okay, well, why don't we move on to our second topic, Alan? How about, let's first, we're going to take a break, and we're going to hear from some of our sponsors. What? And we're back! Now, here we are with topic number two is going to be list design, or... Plan B, what to do if plan A is just not working for you. So basically this is a uh, overall kind of strategy about what do you do if your army can't do what it's made to do. What if you're a shooting army and you can't win a gunfight? What if you're an assault army and you can't win a, uh, a fist fight? What do you do? Well, you have to go with plan B because you need to find another path to victory. What, you, what your army normally does, you're not going to be able to do. I basically was reading a, um, a post online and how I came up with this idea. This guy had a Harlequin army and basically a Drukhari army. 
and he is he is basically fighting a, um, a gray knight army and he basically he's built around assault and you're going to see this a lot with Harlequin armies because what happens if you're an assault army you can't out-assault your opponent? Like, let's say Harlequins probably can't assault an orc army and they're both assault armies. What are you going to do? Well, you need to find another path to victory. And how are you going to do that? You're going you're gonna to have to analyze your armies and you're going to have to try to find another path. Now, an example I like to think about, if, you, if you, anybody here saw the BAO stream between Don Hooson and Jeff Robinson, we're going to talk about Don Hooson's army a lot, I guess. He's going to get a big head, but that's fine. <laughs> Don uh, Don has a shooting army, and that's one thing he does. He shoots really well with a 36-inch range. And with that purge, uh, uh, um, what is it, chapter tactic or whatever, uh, he's, he's deadly within 36 inches. Well, what happened was he ended up playing uh, Jeff Robinson. And Jeff Robinson, as we just mentioned, he's got like an 80-inch range, a 60-inch range with his with his Kaleidus grab tanks. And I don't know how far that uh, that his Dreadnought can shoot. But he he was really... So, and normally on like a Dawn of War deployment, he's pretty much okay. He can, he can pretty much cover the whole board within 36 inches. But he was in a hammer and anvil deployment. So now Jeff Roberts can, can sit back in his deployment zone and Don's going to be way out of range. He's going to have to advance or walk forward for a couple turns before he can really bring his, his guns to bear. And Don's list, he changed his list a little bit because you played him, Jeff, at uh, the Battle for LA. And he had these, what are the, the, uh, the flyers, the uh, Chaos mm -hmm. Flyers? Hellblades or Hellblades or something like that. Yeah, and those just fly around and they shoot a lot of shots. And what he did was he upgraded his list for the BAO. He swapped them out with Helldrakes. And Helldrakes are good because you can move your Helldrakes forward. And if they do have like a heavy shooting element, they can assault them and in theory lock them down. But as we noticed that with the Kaladius grab tanks, as we just said, they have flies, so there's no locking them down. So Don was really in a bad situation in that matchup because he can't outshoot them. And he, what does he do then? So this is, and this is basically how to talk about that. So the few things you have to know is knowledge is power. You need to know when you should fight and when you can't. You need to know if you can break somebody's castle, if, you, if you're an assault army, if you can out assault them, or when you can't. Because it makes no purpose of assaulting an assault army if you're not gonna win an assault phase fight. Also, if you if you're gonna lose a shooting fight, you need to you need to find another way to win. So you need to learn your opponent's strengths and weaknesses and ranges. Knowledge is power, and it's very important to know that Don only has a 36-inch range, and it's very important to know that Jeff has a 60-inch range, and you're gonna be far apart from each other. Now, and also when you sit up on the tabletop, you have to know your army's strengths and its weaknesses. You need to know your limitations. And now I've been playing with Magnus, and Magnus is like the ultimate Death Star killer. Everybody has these big balls of Bulgrins, they have these big balls of Grotesques, they have these big Seer Councils. And they're used to just slapping all these buffs on them, they got these invulnerable saves, they got this high toughness. Magnus don't care, he's like the honey badger. He just, <laughs> he just can, uh, he just death hexes you, removes removes all your invulnerable saves. He's AP minus four, so on a, even if you have a two-up save, you're only getting a save on a six-up now. He's strength 16, so he's almost wounding everything in the game on a two-plus. 
and he does three damage a shot. So, so if you have like a grotesque, and I, I played this game at the BAO, was like he just had a big ball of grotesque, and he just ran him at me. It's like okay, and Magnus just went into him like a like a. Uh, a bowling ball, and he scattered them like bowling pins. And same thing with the Seer Council. I got attacked with the Seer Council. He just he just wrecked the Seer Council. So you need to know what you can fight and what you can't, because there's no point in moving moving something that can be killed easily forward. And so, Alan, on that, how does how would you give what advice would you give to a listener who is sitting down at a table and they brought a list that you know. Um, Let's say the grotesque list or something like that, and they're they're sitting looking at their opponent's list. What uh, what advice do you think they could take away to kind of help assess whether they need to pursue an alternative path to victory in this game? Well, a lot of it is just practice. Just and we talk about this a lot. Just getting reps with your army, and and a lot of people also because we we kind of have a stale meta, <laughs> whereas. We have kind of like a group think where there's, there's only like a few armies played and we don't really have like a million different armies. But you want to get in a lot of reps with a lot of different armies. You want to, and that's through trial and error a lot of times you can tell what you can kill and what you can't. And and so like a lot of times, like if you, you'll have two units staring at each other and I found this a lot with my Harlequins. And I'll run forward and assault it, and I found out that I can't kill that unit, and I just get beat down in the assault phase. That is the worst possible outcome, because not only do you use, do you use your unit, but you, use it, you lose it on your turn, meaning that your opponent's uh, unit is free to act to do something else on their turn. Yeah, you didn't make them come play to you. And I think that's really one thing that you're talking about, the knowledge is power. You kind of have to go, look, okay, at the start of the game, Based on my experience with my army, how is this matchup going to work? Are my grotesques going to be useful here against Magnus? And if you have played against Magnus before through grotesques and seen what he does to them, you go, okay, no, I'm not going to, you know, take the center of the board with my grotesques. Instead, I'm going to deep strike them and keep them in, you know, my opponent guessing of where they're going to go for two or three turns, or I'm going to hide them in a building so Magnus can't get at them. This kind of thing. You got to kind of, you know, a lot of it is terrain dependent because if you're going to be playing uh, on the back foot or playing with your quote-unquote plan B, you're going to need to kind of hopefully hide and, and not engage the enemy on the terms that they want, and you want to play the mission as close as possible. One example I have of this is at LVO 2018 in round six, I was playing Matt Johansson, and he had uh, Yanari Reapers, you know, before they you – know, right when their heyday, when they could double shoot. There was, they, there was not any limitations on it. They were cheaper – and he had something like 20, 25 Dark Creepers in his list. Uh, it was absurd. You know, and on turn one, you know, he obliterated half my army, but I, I pulled the victory out because I just, I hid. I would move out and quicken a unit of Rangers. I got, I got the bonus point on like four turns of the game by just throwing away a unit here and there to get some points. And I kind of played KG and, and let him take one half of the board, and I shifted to another side, got behind some terrain, um, and and fought the the game on the uh, the grounds I wanted to fight them on. So it's kind of I didn't I didn't now mind you I didn't realize that I needed to do that at the beginning of the game. It was kind of after he went first and killed half my army. I kind of was like, oh shit, uh, I need to play something different. But whether you realize it at the beginning of the game or whether you realize it on turn two, 
um, you need to be able to adapt to that uh, situation, which I think is what Alan's getting at here. Right. Adam Carolla has a, has a saying that some people are like beavers. And beavers uh, just do one thing, and they focus on one thing, and that's all they do, and that's all they think about. They look for trees, chew trees, build dams. And you can't be like a beaver. You need to, you need to, you need to open up your, the possibilities. you got to be like a honey badger. <laughs> yes. And so, like, for example, Magnus. Magnus is, is a wrecking ball. Like I said, he's like a Death Star killer, but he does have his weaknesses. And a lot of people will castle up against Magnus, and that might be the way to go with grotesques, is have them behind the lines and then use them as a countersault because Magnus unsupported. If I just warp time him forward and throw him into a castle, he will be killed by just massive firepower and massive bodies, and then you can use the grotesque to counterassault Magnus. And and what happens is, so you need to you need to look at the. Uh, when you when you can use them so nowadays i just use magnus i just run him forward to like 16 inches cast all my psychic powers and then usually actually i warp time and back behind my lines i don't run them in the castles and that's why that's why sometimes if your army is not really actually used to castling or good at castling sometimes you might want a castle because castling has a lot of pros you know it gives you mutual support your units are all affected by auras. If you have auras, you know, you can protect the uh, weaker units in the back and, like, have chaff in the front. And, and it, But it has some limitations. Like, it gives you no board control, and you lose a lot of your mobility. But what? But as long as you can keep, like, if you have a giant seer council or if you have a giant grotesque one alive, they are a huge threat. They, they, are, they prevent your opponent from going to the center of the board. Let's say you have a big bad unit that can that can be killed as long as as long as you have a, a your counter unit alive let's say your seal seer council the opponent can't really get board control they can't go to the center either because they'll be counterattacked so sometimes you know instead of just running forward and you thinking you're you're all that great you want to hold back a little bit. Have a little standoff with the opponent. Yes. And that, that happens a lot of times with Magnus. I have Magnus. He's alive. He's there. The opponents are, are in their their corner, and they don't want to leave because of Magnus. And, but I don't want to throw Magnus in there. So we have kind of like, so it's kind of like there's this no man's land in between us. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of it has to do also to succeeding in your plan B. A lot of it also has to do with list construction. You, you do need to build yourself some outs if you can't do what you want to do. And you never want... So if your army assaults, you, you generally speaking never want to go like 100% assault. You'd like to go like 75% assault maybe and 25% shooting. You want to have some options, some variables, because you'll be in some situations where maybe you won't be able to assault, and then, but then maybe you can pick at, at the edges with some shooting. Yeah, and it's, it's better if your units have duality, like the Caladius, you know, could shoot at a multitude of targets. But if you have units that can fight and shoot, maybe like uh, the Haywire bikes on, from Hologon, they're, they're not the best in combat. They're not troops, but they're not bad. Um, and they do shoot well, so it's yeah. kind of you have a little bit of that um, dual purpose. Yeah, there's, they're, they're a little pricey, but if you ever have any of these units, that's why I think Shining Spears are so good. And everybody just kind of like thinks the shining spears are, are not that great nowadays, but I like them. The ability to shoot, the ability to assault, and their movement is just 
is beyond compare. So it means that they can fill multiple roles. Mm -hmm. And also, like, if you're a shooting army, generally speaking, you want to have some assault units, too. You don't want to go full shooting. You want to have some counter-charge units. Now, sometimes you're, you're like Tau and... <laughs> yeah, that's not really an option. Yeah, but I mean, gonna... you look at like uh, you know, um, Brandon Grant's guardless. He's got that Bolgren star in there, and right. that's and Catachin <laughs> bodies, which aren't the best, but they're they're strength four. So you know, there's something to say there. So and also, you'll know that your army will have some weaknesses. Like sometimes you will you'll be short range. Like some armies only have like 24 inch shooting. So there's some ways to, to increase your movement so you can move a little faster. And then uh, sometimes you, you want to take some units that will plug the gaps that will help you out. Now, there's, there's several ways to overcome not being able to do what your army does best. If you're, if you're going up against a shooting army, sometimes you will want to assault them. Uh, it sounds pretty easy and pretty simple, but you, know, you have to do what you have to do. If you can't ass assault them, you're going you're to you're be in a lot of trouble then because you're not going to be able to shoot them and assault them. So I find in my army, I have horrors, and everybody thinks the horrors just only purely as a shooting unit. But actually, they're, they're reasonably good at assault because one thing is they're, they're a lot of bodies, so you know, there are a lot of attacks, but they're strength four, which is pretty good. We'll do some decent ones. And then I have a spell called uh, Boot of Change where I can give them either two attacks or plus one strength or plus one toughness. And that makes them a lot more durable in assault. So, and especially if I give them two attacks, they actually will do some damage in assault. But, but what they mostly do is they're durable. And if I'm going up against broadsides, I can take the Tau Overwatch and I can just touch a bunch of broadsides with them. If they're tank commanders, I can just touch the tank commanders. There's, you can just uh, lock shooting units in assault so they can't shoot. And then you have to think about other ways of, of doing that as well. And like, you'll see, these days we're seeing a lot of Eldar with uh, Wave Serpent spam. And one of the great uses of Wave Serpents is just running up to your opponent and just touching them. And like, if, I, if you've, there was back in the day, which is last year, there used to be like a lot of Plague Burst Crawlers and there used to be like a lot of um, hellhounds and running around. And what I would do when I was playing my wave serpent spam was I'd just go forward, I'd just touch them, and it just shuts these, uh, these tanks down. And that's what we saw when, when Jeff played uh, Don, who's, uh, he played, no, when he played Jim Vessel, he used his Caladius Grav tanks very aggressively, and he touched a lot of units. And doing that, he was able to manipulate where Jeff could move and where he couldn't move, and he locked certain units down from shooting. So if you're, if you're fighting an assault army, and you, you, you can lose to a, a, uh, in a, the assault phase, you need, you need to find other ways to win as, as well. Like, for example, if you're like, if, if you're like a demon army with like a lot of summoning points, you can summon horrors instead if you usually have some thousand sons alive to, you know, support them. Uh, you can summon horrors and then you can kind of go from a assault army to a shooting army. And then also like uh, orcs actually can shoot really well. And if you have like a bunch of slugger boys, you might want to start shooting a lot of stuff as well. And yeah, one, one thing I've noticed when you're playing you know, an assault army or, and you're not able to out assault them is you don't, a lot of these assault armies are going to deep strike down or, uh, and once they get on the board, they're relatively slow. Um, so you want to spread out. 
you want to say, okay, I mean, obviously it depends on the, the mission and the terrain that you have, but if you have one unit or half your army on one side of the board, another half on the other side of the board, and you're able to spread out before he brings his blood letters in or his aberrants in, you know, and you can keep them from eating your entire army, that's great. You know, then, then you can just say, okay, you, you, you ate that half of the army, but now I'm, I maybe have a speed advantage on you. Maybe I'm playing Harlequin troops and I'm able to fly away from the rest of your army. And, and now you're stuck, um, essentially not doing anything with that unit as it kind of tries to walk across the board to be relevant again. Yes, and also things like board control is also very important. If you, if you just run forward, you just run at them, and you die, then you're no longer a threat. So sometimes you just want to keep like uh, the back and keep your, your assets alive, and then they can't get to the center of the table, but you can't get to the center of the table. So sometimes, like I said with Magnus, sometimes you just kind of want that standoff is like the best situation, and, and sometimes you just want to preserve your units and keep them as long as possible possible and sometimes you want to hold back units too because a lot of times with my army now i play zinch and uh zinch demons i'll keep my zangors off the table and i wait for like a big i usually wait for something to hit me like if they're an assault army i wait for them to hit me and usually i'll use brimstones to screen screen out my army of my castle and then i'll drop down my zangors and hit those units because it's very important that you hit first or you hit their assault units first. So if, if I just drop down and hit some random unit, then they have all these assault armies, assault uh, units that can then drop down and hit me, and then I have no answer for them. Or they can hit, uh, or they can counter assault and hit my Zangors and kill my Zangors. So sometimes you want to hold back for a, for a good counter charge. Another thing is also you want to use your mobility. If you're faster than your opponent, it's going to be it gives you a lot more options. You're able to kind of dance around your opponent. Sometimes they're not that fast. Let's say Tau, well, Tau actually can be pretty fast, but <laughs> sometimes a lot of units are like static shooting armies, you know, like a lot of some Space Marine armies, you know, where they're going to move six inches maybe. So you can kind of move around them and kind of hit them from just one flank and take off a flank. You don't go, don't try to counter strength with, with strength. And another thing you can do is you can also tailor your list at the tabletop. Now, a lot of things, you know, like your chapter tactics are going to be, you know, printed on your, sh your sheet. But a lot of, a lot of um, tournaments, you can, you can pick a lot of things on the board. So you can tailor your list with warlord traits, with relics, with psychic powers. If you have summoning points or if you can pick an assassin, you want to tailor your list as much as you can to kind of counter your opponent's Yeah, list. so if you're in a, in a situation where you're... You think you're going to be outshot by someone in your shooting army? You may not want to take the Vindicare. You may go, usually that's who I take, and I outshoot my opponent. But if you're like, look, I may need the Collectus simply, even if it's not a melee or a, a psychic army, you may simply take them just to sit on an objective and be a character with. Even if they kill us, your everything that's protecting that character, he still is only being hit on sixes. You know, you may do that that kind of thing, or take the Evasor to to help you get a little bit more assault. Or take the Cal uh, the Calidus assassin. You know, there's a lot of other ways you can think outside the box to try and get that um, alternate path to victory, um, or make it happen for you. Yeah, because a lot of these shooty armies are CP hungry, like orcs and Tau. And if you burn them through those extra CPs, also could could uh, go a long way to hurt them. If you take the what's the what's the Calidus? Calidus, the girl with the ponytail. Yeah. 
And uh, so this basically came about by, I was, I was I'm uh, in a Harlequin uh, chat group on Facebook, and a guy goes, you know, what do I do? He's, he had basically three Harlequin troops and Sky Weavers, uh, Star Weavers, uh, rather. Everything's named Weavers and stupid Harlequins. So he basically had uh, three of those Venom transports, and he had one of the bike squads, which are Sky Weavers. And he had, like, uh, Talos, and he had Grotesques, and he fought against a Grey Knight army. Now, normally we see Grey Knight armies, and <laughs> a brigade of Grey Knights. Normally we see Grey Knights, and go, Grey Knights. And, <laughs> but he had a brigade of just a million five-man squads. And even though they have a weak smite, they have ways of increasing range, and still, that's like if you have 18 units, that's still 18, 18 damage of smites that he can spam out. And it's got a tremendous amount of storm bore, uh, bolter shooting. So he's got like this 24-inch uh, kill circle around him. And I guess this Harlequin player just ran at him. And uh, he just got smited and shot off the table. I was like, well, yeah, that's, that's going to happen. And I, I tried to tell him, you know, you got to find another way. Because the, the way you think your army work is not going to work. And so you have to do something else. So... The Grey Knights are going to be all in a bubble because they have, like, banners and auras to increase ranges and do other things because they're actually smites are actually not that long, not that long range. So I told him, you know, you got to come up with your Sky Weavers, just be within 24 inches of just, like, a couple units. You have to shoot them, and then you have to use Fire and Fade to move seven inches back, and now you're going to be out of his range. You can also move your Sky Weavers up just to within 24 inches of just one flank, shoot at that one flank, and then that limits the amount of firepower. You have to use your speed and your mobility and just kind of nickel and dime them and nibble about the edges. You can't just pile in there and expect good things to happen. So it was, it was a, hopefully uh, he learned a little bit and hopefully he can try to use his speed to his advantage, but... I told him, you know, if you had some Razor Wings or if you had some Ravage, because the, the Grey Knight list wasn't bad, and then a take-all was, and a take-all Cumbers list, he would do horribly because everybody could outrange him and outmaneuver him, especially after he killed the Interceptors. But if he had some Ravagers or if he had some Razor Wing Jet Fighters, he would have blown that Grey Knight army off the table. Yeah, and just to close out the topic, I mean, this is kind of brings it back to what we talked about the last episode um, after the BAO. Um, you know, when I was playing Tower, I found the Tower really, they're really good if I could shoot my opponent off the board, but it's that alternate path to victory that I just, I mean, I'm sure it's there in the Tau uh, Codex, uh, but I, it's not for me. You know, <laughs> I was playing with Eldar recently in Oryx, and I was able to, oh man, I'm in a bad situation. I played myself out of that hole with psychic powers, movement, high mobility, you know, infiltrating units, uh, deep striking units, all kinds of fun stuff to just... Be able to dig yourself out of those holes when you find yourself in them. Yeah, that's that's what I liked about my Eldar army when I played. It was like at the LVO, I lost my uh, I lost my shining spears without them doing anything, and that's a you know big chunk of points, and it's my big heavy hitting squad. And so you need to find some other way to win. So I ended up just flying my planes around, and he just had like a few racks on each one of the objectives. I had to blow them off the objectives, and then you have to you have to find another way, and another way is just playing the mission, playing the objectives, and not really do what you normally do. Yeah, don't focus on blowing your opponent off the board. All right, All right. and uh, let's close it out. Topic number three. Now, Jeff, you went to a RTT last weekend. Because I'm going to a million GTs in the next two weeks, uh, I, uh, I decided, well, I'll sit this one out. So how did you do? 
Well, uh, it, I actually won the, the RTT, uh, which is my first RTT win ever, which is pretty cool. So exciting. <laughs> really? Um, yeah, I know, right? <laughs> That's funny. You won uh, the GT there last year. Yeah. <laughs> Never won the RTT. <laughs> actually, I usually, I think I only went to two RTTs last year. I just, uh, my wife points all go to uh, the big get, getting the, 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 big, <laughs> the big ones, the majors and the GTs. So, um, but yeah, it was a good 24 player RTT. Um, we had a couple of, uh, uh, good players there, and I brought an orc list uh, that was inspired from uh, Chuck from Best in Faction. Uh, Death Skull list, which is uh, my army is, uh, this is my old army. I've had it since second edition, and it's painted blue, and it's been ready to go. And I just, since the orc codex came out, I just haven't, I haven't jumped on the, the train. I don't know why, but I had a blast playing them. But I want to talk about one of the games in particular I played against Gene Sword Cult. Um, so this is another practical application section where I'm hoping to kind of you know, end up winning this game, but I took a lot away from it. Um, having only really played Gene Sarkolt once before with my Tau, um, I didn't really know what to expect when I was playing my Orc list. So I chose secondaries poorly against him. I chose Recon, and our table was, you know, uh, kind of a funky table with these two big L's, but they were walls, and we they're like mountainous walls, so we just kind of ruled them as you can't go through them. Um, so it made this weird firing lanes in the in the game, and he was able to screen me out for like the first, you know, on turns two and three. On turn one, I was able to make a <laughs> I rolled boxcars on my charge and was able to get in to him with uh, one of my orc units um, and go to grab the, uh, the the bonus point by holding a bunch of objectives. But then after that, he screened the shit out of me, and I didn't get recon until turn three. Or four, I think. I mean, I think maybe it was turn four because he was just, you know, deep striking every turn and bringing in these aberrants and his uh, bike Death Star that he had. He had all the jackal uh, bikes with the three uh, wolf quads with them with incinerators. And he, those things came down and did a number on me. And I, I was kind of expecting the damage output, but what I didn't expect was their durability to get rid of them. I mean, they're minus one to hit. Uh, and they have two wounds or T4. I mean, I I end up having to charge in Mega Knobs and a War Boss with the Power Claw to no two War Bosses with the Power Claw to pick the whole thing up. It was absurd how much damage they took um, from the uh, the counter charge and absorbed it. So you know the, the kind of the takeaway I have from this game is, and this is something I'm admittedly really bad at actually is kind of assessing how the game is going to go before the battle starts. I know some people are really good at this, which is, you know, good for them, I guess. It sucks for me. Because <laughs> I, I look at a list like, okay, I think I know how this is going to go. He's going to, like, deep strike at me. And he had vultures. He's going to fly his vultures up, blow away all my orcs, and then um, deep strike up with his aberrants and kind of come at me with his bikes. But I I didn't really think about how it would go in the backfield. I said, oh, I could, I'll definitely be able to throw some death coptas in the back get recon like that but he screened his entire half of the board out and there wasn't much i could do to get over to him because he threw up these bigger threats in front of me and i just had to kind of splash into them every turn and it was just outside of the uh the table quarter so he had me just kind of just past the line of scrimmage you know and he's uh pushing into my uh into my zone and i kind of couldn't i couldn't get into that zone so i lost a, a point and luckily i was able to eventually break through his aberrants um with my, you know, one of my war bosses went ham and just killed a bunch of aberrants. But um, it was it was a kind of an eye opener. Just kind of like that's a skill I need to work on as a player. Is I should have seen that earlier, and I should have um, 
not taken recon. I should have gone like, okay, this is going to, he's going to be pushing me into the corner or into my, my field. And I need to kind of just play defensively. Um, maybe I've used my grots to screen out and held my boys back. Like this is what Alan says with his brimstones. I put my grots out in the front. They die to the, to the deep striking enemy. And then, you know, I could take the rest, uh, uh, the counter charge with my boys who are kind of waiting in the wings. So that's kind of the quick and dirty uh, practical application just from one of my games against Gene Circle. I hadn't really played him against again, but it was a fun game, super interesting, and uh, kind of good to, to always take something out of even a, a, a close win. Yeah, I'm going to be coming going to a bunch of tournaments, as I mentioned. I'm going to be going to the Gentleman's GT, and that's just basically the West Coast uh, meta. So I'm pretty familiar with the West Coast meta, and... and then after that, I'm going to the Flying Monkey GT, and I've been listening to the Flying Monkey GT podcast, and they just had the Bug Eater GT, and they've had also the um, they've had uh, the Show Me Show Me Showdown, or they had some they had some Missouri uh, uh, GT, and apparently there's a lot of people there. They like Gene Sealer Colts there, so I haven't played against Gene Sealer Colts yet, and uh, it's going to be a uh, unpleasant surprise. I have a feeling. Yeah, they have a lot of tricks. And then I'm going to be going up to Boise Cup where, you know, I expect to see the, the best in faction guys there. So I expect to see uh, that orc list like what you've been playing with Chuck's list. And uh, and then I guess Colin plays Gene Sooner Colt. So unfortunately, it's going to be uh, outside of my, my Vegas and the normal meta. It's going to be interesting uh, minefield. I'm going to be navigating in the other GTs. Yeah, and that's always the interesting thing when you go outside of your meta is that you get these lists that you just don't face. I mean, like if you're if you play most of your games in your local play group and you you get out to a GT twice a year, you're you're gonna, you're gonna face two out of the six games. You're gonna have something that you've never seen before, and it just you have to be able to react on the fly. And that's why having a list that can adapt and is a quote unquote take all comers list is so important because you have to be able to play yourself out of that hole. So if you only have one path to victory and you're placing a list that you don't know anything about and you realize on turn three that you don't have your normal path to victory isn't going to work out here, you better have a plan B. Yeah, I, I basically dropped Fate Weaver from my list and I just uh, I replaced him with a Sorcerer and Terminator armor. And then I just left a lot of summoning points. I want to try summoning a lot of flamers. So basically, uh, 150 points will give you six flamers, and they do a D3 shots each. So they hit automatically. They have a 12-inch range, so you can either summon them or deep strike them and hit with them. And their toughness four, and if you put them with a herald, they're going to be tough uh, strength five shooting. So they're going to do a, an AP minus one. So they're going to do ten a ton of damage. So if I go up against like orcs or gene stealers, hopefully my flamers will help me out and. They can't be charged really well without barbecuing a ton of gut boys. And uh, even if they do get an assault, those flamers actually act as pistols. So hopefully they'll try to counter some uh, gene stealers or orcs. Interesting, man. That's my, that's my theory. We'll see if it works. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know. We'll report back. <laughs> okay, and on that note, we're going to uh, call it a night. We'd like to thank our sponsor, Hammerhead Games, home of customized, customized plastic Game aids, tokens, and markers. Be sure to check them out at www.hammerheadgames.net. And uh, thank you to all our Patreon sponsors. You're the heroes that make this podcast 
happen. So let's blow this popsicle stand. We're out of here, Jeff. Any last words or comments? Yeah, I cannot wait for you to get that radio announcer job. <laughs> and don't forget, uh, <laughs> if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to email us at focusfirepodcast at gmail.com. Thanks, guys. All right, thank you very much, and we're out. Hello, everybody. It's Alan once again. We're going to do a little bit of Focus Fire bonus content. Uh, we taped that episode a few days ago, and I'm just returned. Actually, I'm not returned. I'm still driving in the middle of nowhere in Nevada. But I just played in the Gentleman's GT. Had a lot of fun. I had about 70 players there. And I'll cut to the chase. Uh, I came here. I'm going camping and basically taking the big tour of the western United States, and so I was busy getting my car ready, packing all my camping equipment and food and everything like that, and then I threw my army all together and I forgot my Zangors. And the Zangors are a very important part of my army because they are useful in counter assault, they're very useful in dealing with hordes, and also in case there's any, like, boxes that people can hide in and they can't be assailed by monstrous creatures, Zangors can go in there and dig them out. And unfortunately, this tournament had a lot of those boxes. Luckily, I did have uh, my Fate Weaver with me so from the BAO. BAO, he's still in some foam with Lord of Chains, so I basically couldn't take any Zangor, so I just added the Feet Weaver back into my list, and I went 4-2. and two. Unfortunately, I lost my first game to, uh, not my first first game, but my, I think it was my second game to Rich Kilton, who actually ended up uh, winning the whole tournament, so congratulations, Rich. He had an Orc army, and... I basically uh, put a put a good he put a beating on me for two turns and once orcs uh, run out of CPs they lose a lot of their teeth and they're not quite as scary as they once were and so he uh, he kind of kind of had me on the back foot for two turns then I started uh, putting it to him for for two turns and it ended up uh, he ended up there's I made a mistake of putting one of my objectives against right next to a a box and so he uh it was basically two he had one objective in his deployment zone i had one in my zone and there was one in the middle in a box as well so he so he always held more objectives than i did and then towards the end he put another squad of boys into a the box that was holding my objective and I couldn't, I didn't have the numbers to kind of uh, count it out. I should have, when there's boxes like that, I'm dealing with monstrous creatures, I should have placed the objective farther back, but I was kind of worried about his loot is shooting my, uh, shooting my troops off of the objective, so I was kind of put it close to the box so I could stay in the box, but I can't really compete in a box when I don't have the troops or Zangors to, to do it, so... Congratulations, Rich. Uh, well deserved victory. And my, I lost my fourth game to Gene Steeler Colt. Now, I've never played against a Gene Steeler Colt, and I have no idea what they could do. And I knew I was in trouble, and I lost the dice roll to go first. And so basically, I ended up going first. And uh, I didn't really know. I kind of know that they have this unit that jumps down with hand flamers. I know that about their aberrants and all the other, some of the other stuff that they do and some of the tricks, but I, you, until you experience it, I learn best by playing against it and 
not by reading against it. So I didn't really know about the blips and when they reveal themselves. And I actually had two turns I could have kind of been aggressive with since I went first. So his stuff doesn't actually drop until turn two. And I ended up setting up very defensively, and that turned out to be a huge mistake. So I ended up just... He has all these reserves coming in, I kind of turtled up, and it wasn't necessarily time to turtle up that early. I could have done a few things to him, and uh, I just uh, I just never, I, he put down these blips, I didn't really know what they were doing, or what they're going. Also, I picked up all this, the wrong secondaries. I chose Mark for Death, and he just, he just uh, put the Mark for Death units into his blips, and then he just... Kept him off the board until the bottom of turns. He basically, uh, I guess, he put him back in reserve, and so he has these marked for death troops, and they only they didn't come on until the bottom of turn turn six. So I had no chance to ever interact with these marked for death units. Also, he had um, he had uh, he took ground control, and then it's like when he has all these reserves, they just drop in on. Turn six, you can just hold all these objectives, and I can't really get out and go around all these objectives. So that's a huge, that's a huge advantage to uh, Gene Sealer Colts and these secondaries and the ITCs with the certain tricks that they can do. But basically, I just ended up just turtling in a corner, and he just came after me very aggressively because he had bodies to throw, and he ended up killing my engineers, which is another secondary I had. So I couldn't hold engineer. I only got about one or two points from engineers. And uh, eventually, after a few turns of just turtling up, I just had Magnus just go out and start rampaging around. I wish he, because I marked for death some of his aberrants, you know, he kept them off the board, like I mentioned. I wish he would have, uh, I wish he would have dropped them down. I'm kind of curious to see if an aberrant squad can kill a very uh, buffed up Magnus, because that's one of the things about a learning game, is, and I learn by doing is, I just want to see how tough they are, and if I can survive that, so, uh, I guess I'll never know until it happens again, so, it'll be interesting to see it, but I knew, uh, because I'd never experienced Gene Steeler Cole, I knew I was going to lose the very first game uh, I played against them, they had so many tricks and so many weird rules and exceptions that I just like, whatever is going to happen is going to happen. So, uh, unfortunately, uh, I probably should have played it a bit more aggressively. I was kind of just, instead of just turtling up. And uh, the last, last thing to add is, uh, we were talking about plan Bs and having a plan B and just don't do the thing that you, that you uh, do. And an example of that is my very last game. I played a game from Seattle, and he's relatively new, so he doesn't, you know, so, you know, you got to give him a pass. But he had two uh, assault knights, what are they, the gallants, and then he had, like, a crusader. And he had, like, the Emperor's Wrath shooting. He had two wyverns, he had a basilisk, and he had a punisher, a tank commander, so, and uh, some various infantry around. And... It was Vanguard Strike Deployment, and I, I turtled up way in the far back corner, because basically I don't want Magnus to be killed turn one. I didn't want to be really... I tried to keep him out of range. And he could have played a very tactical game, because basically since I'm turtled up in the corner, I'm, and my army isn't particularly fast, you know, Magnus is, is 
can be fast because you know 16 and then with wartime but he's really the only fast element everything else is just plodding along at 12 12 inches so it actually would take my lord of changes and feet weaver you know a couple turns a few turns to get out of the corner and he has all these bodies and he has all the shooting. He can rain death and destruction down upon my, you know, my chaff. It's trying to hold objectives. And so he could have just played the long term and just wait, you know, for me to just move towards him and him just hold more every turn and him try, him trying to kill my, my other units. And then, you know, if he can, take some shots at, at Magnus. But what he did was he just took his knights forward and just charged at me because that's what he does and their gallants or whatever. And if he just held them and, like, have infantry in front, just eating, because he had, you know, the Imperial Guard infantry squad, you know, generating uh, command points for him. If he just had those guys up in front eating smites, you know, I can't really touch his vehicles or anything like that. And I just kill these, you know, however cheap the Imperial Guardsmen are with my smites instead of really doing damage to his, to his, to his valuable units and then when i do if i do hit his lines with magnus quickly uh he can just counterattack with two gallons and whatever else you know and the crusader and uh, i could be in a lot of trouble but because i need some i need psychic powers to kind of soften him up a little bit i without him i probably can't kill a gallant in one turn i might but you know it'll be tough but i still get a crusader and a uh, and a uh, gallant attacking me back, which would be bad news. But if he just played the long game, if he just held back and just be very conservative, he probably could have got a, a reasonable lead, you know, because he would be killing units every turn by dropping down, you know, dropping down with the wyverns shooting. And then I could, you know, I might kill a unit or two with shooting a, with um smites and stuff shooting his imperial guard but he definitely would have been holding more and he probably could have got the bonus two for for a two turn so he could have had a big lead by turn three and his army could have been relatively in good order to to counter my my uh, army by then but instead uh instead he just just ran at me and if he just if he's just gonna run at me you know I will blow you away with psychic powers, and the Magnus will just hack down one gallant, and the two, two, the Lord Change of Fate will just kill another one, and it's like, then it's just, I can just go through your whole army then. Now you no longer have any threats to me. And it's just a matter of me just hopping from unit to unit, just cleaning up. So, that's it. That's my just, uh, my quick, uh, uh, battle report for the uh, gentleman's GT. So uh, congratulations once again to Rich Kelton, the number one. I lost to the number one orc player, and uh, I went four and two, thirteenth place. Got me about 150 uh, ITC points. Trying to get that death grip on uh, Zine. So I'll have two more um, GTs. I'm now. I'm driving. I'm going to be driving to. Uh, Grand Canyon tomorrow, and then off to my way to Wichita. Hopefully, I can get hooked up with some Zangors when I'm in uh, I'm in Flying Monkeys, and then maybe for Boise, I'm gonna have some trouble getting. I'm gonna try to scrape up some units. Adam from uh, TFG Radio will be flying up there, and we're driving back together. So hopefully, maybe Adam can um, gonna go through his uh, see what he has that maybe he can borrow to make up for my Zangors, or I'll just keep the 
the list that I'm doing. It has its weaknesses, because if you notice the two armies I lost to, I lost to Horde armies, and basically they had these boxes that I, I had no ability to get them, so... I couldn't uh, get them out, so my Zangors really... Without those Zangors, that really, that really cripples me, so... Yeah. I knew I was. I knew when I, f I left my Zangors at home. I knew that the best I could hope for us was shooting for like four, and, four and two, and that's what I ended up with. So, oh well, live and learn. It's uh, it happens. Anyways, uh, that's it for my report. Alan out.